It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. And we are continuing our march towards the top of the hour and a lot of ground to cover. As mentioned, uh, very pleased to be joined now by our good friend Scott Rasmussen, scottrasmussen.com. Really the preeminent poller in the country, someone who's uh, been following this for uh, longer than he would care to admit today. <laughs> had, had to give you that, Scott, just as a uh, nice, you know, welcome I, you know, to Monday feel. Mean... <laughs> uh, well, Scott uh, is our favorite to, to bring on to really break things down. I want to do two things today, Scott. One, I want to give a, a quick hit look at, uh, obviously, we've got a debate in Iowa tomorrow and uh, Cory Booker dropping out today. So I want to do a quick hit there. But then I really want to get to this uh, piece you've just written. You've your New Year's resolution is a is a, a very enlightened one. You're going through each day and reading one of the Federalist Papers, uh, and you talk about a blooper, a uh, little little faux pas in one of those today. But let's let's start with Iowa. All eyes on Iowa uh, for tomorrow. The big debate uh, with Cory Booker getting out. Uh, any any big impact there as it relates to Iowa or the national stage? Uh, you know, nothing really significant about Cory Booker dropping out at this point. He was one of many candidates hoping to find a way into the top tier. You know, we knew from the beginning that uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden were going to be there at the end, but we didn't know who else would be with them. And Booker just uh, never connected uh, in a significant enough way. Um, and look, I think you have to remember this whole field is very fluid. Most voters... Most voters who will take part in the Democratic primary are quite open to switching their vote at this point in time. So a long way to go, even though it seems kind of close. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Uh, and uh, one, one other thing on uh, Iowa tomorrow, as you look at that uh, debate stage, uh, obviously a couple of things have taken place since the last debate in December. Uh, we have the president impeached. It looks like Nancy Pelosi will finally uh, appoint the managers and let them walk the articles across the building in the uh, big pomp and ceremony that uh, happens with that. And then also we've had uh, interaction in uh, in Iran that has uh, changed the dynamic a little bit as well. How do you think that's going to take place on the stage tomorrow in Iowa? Well, I think uh, first off, it will shift the focus. These questions about what what happened in Iran, how we should proceed and go forward, uh, I would expect that every candidate will have to answer several questions about it, and it will show some differences and different perspectives. Um, I think for uh, Pete Buttigieg, the challenge is going to be to uh, pass the commander in chief test because he doesn't have a lot of experience compared to the others, but he does have some military service in his history. Um, That's going to be a topic of the debate. The impeachment will be a topic of the debate, and I would guess because health care has been a a feature in every one of them, uh, that will play a role too. But let me tell you, there's something different about this debate from everything that's come before it, and that is we're finally getting close to the point where voters are going to have to be deciding. And nationally, uh, tomorrow night's debate may not be a huge event. 
But if you're in Iowa, those voters are now really starting to, to pay close attention. Uh, this begins to solidify the decision-making process. And even beyond Iowa, a little noted feature of this year's process is early voting. The first votes mm. will actually be cast this Friday in Minnesota. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so there's, uh, you know, we're getting to the point where these debates will impact somebody at their, in their decision-making process. Uh, if you're just joining us, we have pollster Scott Rasmussen on the line with us. And uh, Scott, one final polling question before we shift to the Federalist Papers. Uh, you were you were kind of noodling on this late last week as we were texting back and forth uh, about how this really is likely to be a pretty protracted race on the Democratic side and it's going to take some time. And uh, you you went into that space of uh, I think it's been sixty eight years since uh, a real brokered convention. Is uh, how likely is that shaping up for the Democrats? It has been 68 years since uh, the last contested convention. By the way, just to put that in perspective, that was also the fir- the first year we had a televised convention. So in the television era, this is something we've never really experienced before. Um, I don't know what the odds are of a Democratic uh, brokered convention, but they're certainly higher than they've been at any point um, in my memory. Uh, Part of the reason for that is the superdelegates don't have any role to play in the first round of balloting. That was a concession made to Bernie Sanders and his supporters after the uh, the last go-round. Secondly, the way that the uh, delegates are selected and awarded in the Democratic Party. There aren't winner-take-all states. So if anybody gets the 15%, they're going to get a share of the delegates. Um, and finally, you know, I mentioned Minnesota is voting starting this Friday. A lot of states have early voting. Uh, so what that means is California, for example, is sending out their ballots on the same day that the Iowa caucus is being held. Instead of a winnowing process where you get to see who are the top two candidates or so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have a field of five or six candidates when the voting begins. Um, and so that could lead to uh, to some very difficult situations yeah. for the Democratic Party. Wow. And, that... and, yeah, and boy, let me let me just uh, you know, throw in uh, uh, one other piece of, of the puzzle about what might happen if that happens. The last Democratic contested convention, um, and it was actually the first presidential primary debate, was held between Adlai Stevenson and Estes Kefauver, um, names that are lost <laughs> to history now for many people. Right. But what happened was Kefauver was leading going into the convention. He had the most delegates on the first ballot. He lost the election. He was the liberal, the progressive candidate, and he lost to the establishment candidate. That would be like Bernie Sanders going into the convention with the lead and having the nomination given to Joe Biden. Mm. If that happens, there will be fireworks. Wow. Wow. Well, a uh, long, long way to go and lots to process as we move along. Uh, Want to hit one other thing. Uh, we, we mentioned before the break your New Year's resolution of uh, going yeah. through the Federalist Papers, and uh, you're, you're giving us a nice play-by-play at DeseretNews.com. And uh, so I want to get in. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about a, uh, a little bit of a faux pas, a little blooper in uh, one of those Federalist Papers. Tell us about that. Well, you know, I'm not sure that I would use the word faux pas, but I certainly use the word blooper uh, in the in the article, and that's because some people talk about the founders and what they wrote as if they were holy scripture. Uh, we have to recognize that they made some mistakes. They got a lot of things right, but they did get some wrong. Um, and the very first one that I highlighted was in Federalist Three. It was written by John Jay. 
Jay was an active member of the early founding generation. He took part in the Second Continental Congress. He uh, was active in the abolition movement, did a lot of great things for the country, uh, was also the first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. But one of one of his arguments, one of the reasons he thought we should stay united and have the union was because the individual states couldn't find enough qualified people to serve in their government. So Jay wrote that, you know, once we have this great national government, the best men in the country will not only consent to serve, they will be generally appointed to manage it. There will never be a lack of proper persons to guide the ship of state. Uh, you know, we live in a world now where only 23 percent of voters think their own representative in Congress is the best person for the job. People tend to think decision-making closer to home is better than Washington. And, uh, of course, our last presidential election featured two candidates who were viewed unfavorably by most voters. So, right. John Jay missed that one, but that doesn't mean we should dismiss everything he said. And I, This is really a key point for me. We need to learn from the wisdom of our founding fathers. They were bright men. They had practical experience in creating government. They did a lot of good things, but we also need to evaluate their arguments in the light of our experience and, and figure out how to apply it to our to the 21st century. Oh, that's uh, that's so good and, and so important. And I do think uh, John Jay uh, d- does uh, miss out on uh, some of the accolades in terms of his work, in terms of uh, the abolition movement, the universities and colleges, education programs he was trying to, uh, to get moving as well. Uh, just 30 seconds uh, to wrap up uh, today. Uh, give us one last thing that we all ought to be thinking about in terms of how this applies to uh, to what we're doing today. You know, the question that we all face is how do you create a self-governing society? How do you ensure that the will of the people is reflected? Recognizing that we all have different goals and values, and that was what they wrestled with. How do you create freedom? How do you create a structure? Uh, And it's not as simple as, well, we cast a vote and the 51% wins and we set the rules. It's a much more complex issue than that. So we need to think about the structure of our politics, the structure of our government, and do so in a manner that says uh, maybe we don't have all the answers right now and we ought to be put a few breaks in the process along the way. Oh, fantastic. Scott Rasmussen, always appreciate your insight. You can read Scott's piece on Deseret.com today and uh, much more to come from Scott in the weeks ahead. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, you don't want to miss this. Uh, Jessica Torlove uh, has some interesting advice for her Democratic friends. Give up impeachment and focus on find out what next on KSL News Radio.